This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast. Today is Wednesday, June 10th. I'm Stan Friedman, and this is Franchise Today. Well, last week I said it felt like our world was spinning wildly out of control, what with three months of coronavirus, followed by racial and civil unrest. Well, lo and behold, a Wall Street Journal and NBC poll out this week says that 80% of voters are feeling exactly the same way. Well, like most of us, I like being right most of the time, but not about this. After dominating our 24-7 news cycle for months, the virus crisis was quickly, if not instantly, displaced by the onset of protests, first peaceful and then not so much, as riots were breaking out all over the country over the senseless, horrific murder of George Floyd. With this event, America hit a tipping point, and the top blew right off the civil rights pressure cooker that has for years been percolating in our nation, triggering nearly a week of violent protests across the country. These now seem to have thankfully given way to more peaceful protests, but what with massive numbers of participants worldwide by young people of all races, creeds, and cars. If the first half of this year has been anything, it's been tumultuous, filled with pain and suffering, and mostly uncertainty. Well, I for one pray for a better second half and look for us to make it more about healing, healing physically from COVID-19's wicked grip fiscal healing from government pushback against it to protect the economy after millions of jobs were lost. And then, too, if the virus wasn't enough, the timing of this shameful event in Minneapolis brought our nation to its knees just as America was beginning to reopen for business, bringing us to an inflection point that just begs for civic business community, and spiritual leadership to get together and begin talking in a more socially responsible way than the protesters we've seen on TV last week, but begin having some serious conversations, deep listening by all parties to the conversation and to all points of view. Today we're going to begin honing in on that a little more closely right here on Franchise Today and hopefully setting an example for what some of these conversations might look and sound like. Today I'll be joined by my good friend Michael Stone. As many of you know, Michael's a retired NFL player with whom I've had the privilege of co-founding PAFI, the Pro Athlete Franchise Initiative, some years ago. Michael and I are best friends with many things in common, but then too there are many things about each of us that the other cannot directly experience firsthand, like playing football for seven years in the NFL. I'll never know what that experience felt like, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Michael's African-American. He's a single parent, and not just any single parent, but a single parent raising four boys between the ages of eight and 17. I'll never know what that feels like either. So as much as we share in common, Michael and I have some different perceptions of things too. It would be impossible for us not to, but with these differences, we have something else going for us that none of the current day anger can wrest away from either of us. That is mutual respect, trust and honor for the relationship we've shared over time with the bond of a common purpose. My hope is that you'll take our conversation today as an example of what you too can and should be doing with members of your teams. 
with franchisees, suppliers, and with anyone with whom you share lots in common, but can never really appreciate some of the differences in your lives without first understanding them and then hashing them out openly, honestly, and with respect from one another's points of view. I'm back in two minutes or less and invite you to join me as I welcome Michael Stone back to Franchise Today. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Stan Friedman here with a word about Transitive, an amazing marketing platform that actually delivers what others can only imagine, accurate, dependable results that are second to none. All right, without getting too deep into the weeds, Transitive connects franchisees' customer data from all sources, providing high-octane fuel for their marketing engines. They then deploy machine learning, yes, artificial intelligence, which identifies various customer traits and habits, attributes that would otherwise likely go unnoticed, and it segments these customers into groups. This is important because, as we know, not all customers provide your franchisees with equal dollar value. But wouldn't it be great if they could easily identify who's who? Well, that's exactly what Transitive does. And what's more, it then accurately drives the appropriate offers to each of those customer groups, delivering specific personalized messages to each of the group's customers. Just like that, your franchisees are engaged in laser-focused target marketing, delivering them much more bang for the buck. You've got to see it to believe it. So what are you waiting for? Order up a demo today and tell them I sent you. Find them online at www.transitive.io. That's www.transitive.io. Michael Stone, welcome back to Franchise Today, my friend. It's good to be back. Good to be back. Good to talk to you, too. Do you realize, I mean, I didn't until I went and looked, but do you realize it's 10 years since you and I met? Wow. Time flies. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it does. It does not seem like it. I can't. It doesn't seem possible to me, Michael, but it's been 10 years. And I remember when John Reynolds first asked me to have a conversation with you, that John was then the president of the IFA's Educational Foundation. And he brought your name to me, I guess, after he and you had a conversation. Why don't you share with the audience what that was about? And share, too, who you are and what brought you to have that conversation with John. Okay, for those who don't know, I'm a former NFL player, played seven years in the NFL. And after I retired, I was kind of poking around and trying to figure out different ways for athletes to leverage their time in the NFL to their next careers and help them transition. So I was kind of poking around um, with the IFA, reaching out, calling people who may be able to kind of begin a conversation. And John Reynolds was one of the people who, who responded and connected me with you. And it seemed like from there, you know, momentum just gained and gained and gained until we had an entire organization built to educate athletes about franchise. Now, you're skirting past something that I have a memory of, and that was <laughs> a doctor's appointment. You were going into, I think, what was it, the 07 season, maybe? Or when were you with the Giants? Yeah, that was 07. Oh, it may have been 07, yeah. And what happened and, that um, year, Michael? What happened that year that changed your life? Well, um, that was my last year playing football. I didn't know it at the time. But um, coming into that season, I was playing with the New York Giants. 
and um, I had something I thought was a small injury um, in training camp right before the season was starting, and it turned out to be a torn labrum in my hip. And um, you know, after after further review, after getting a second opinion, um, um, I found out that I actually had to get surgery. And on the way back to the stadium, to Giant Stadium in New Jersey, um, I also found out that I was released by the team. So all this happened over the course of a few hours, and I went from thinking, you know, I had a few more years left in my career to it was over. I think that reality made me really hone in on the fact that athletes have to, um, I guess, start planning, start planning on their second career, start putting um, concepts in the ground, start to educate themselves, start to, you know, at least build an understanding of what's happening next. And it, and that really kind of got me started on my, you know, kind of quest to help, you know, athletes in this transition process. Now, just in a capsulated form, you had, you had a storied career as a college football player. Tell us a little bit about college and then bring us through your NFL career, which you just described its abrupt ending, but take us through just a capsule of college days and into the NFL. Yeah. I don't know how storied it was then. <laughs> I will tell you this. It was, for me, I wasn't one of those players who came into college knowing I was going to the NFL. Um, I went to a small college in Ohio Central State University. And um, and while I was there, you know, they canceled their football program. So I had to find somewhere to transfer to. And um, I actually walked on at University of Memphis a year later, sat out a year of football. <laughs> and I, I played my last two years um, at University of Memphis. And um, in that two years, I, uh, you know, we had a very good defense, um, number two in the nation my junior year. And I guess through that experience, through that, um, that last two years, I, I, I built a small resume for myself and some NFL teams were interested and I was drafted second round in the NFL by the Arizona Cardinals. Played four years in Arizona. From there, I went to, um, I, I, I kind of went from team to team from there. The big thing about the NFL is it's all about that second contract. So I was in, I was kind of struggling to get my second contract. So I played with um, the Rams, I played with the Patriots, played with the Giants, played with the Texans. But again, as I said earlier, my career ended with the Giants um, abruptly. So I would say I, I made a lot of good relationships relationships in the NFL, had a great experience. And, um, but I came out of it understanding, you know, how quickly that you have to grasp your opportunity and take advantage of it and kind of leverage it for your next step. Appreciate the update, Michael, and, and I'm sure the audience does as well. You know, when we put the program together that became PAFI, P-A-F-I, the Pro Athlete Franchise Initiative, it's the reason that John Reynolds was the person who responded to you in the first place, because it was the belief of all those who heard your idea and your vision that there is no place on the planet that one can draw from to find a more diverse universe than that of professional sports. Would you agree? Definitely, definitely. Definitely, 100%. And so this initiative that we created was managed under the auspices of the IFA's Diversity Institute, of which I'm a founding member. And 10 years later, we're not doing PAFI anymore, but here we are having a conversation, Michael, about <laughs> something that's going on in the world today that has taken coronavirus from the most devastating th news event in our in our lifetime off the front page. It's disappeared off the radar, interestingly in, enough. In its place, we're hearing about civil rights, and we're hearing about police violence and we're hearing about a whole awakening of things that are going on that have been long overdue for some conversations and here you and I are going to sit today and we're going to have a conversation 
that we're going to share with an audience of franchising community, people who should be having these conversations as well. And I'm fearful that in many cases, too many executives don't even know how to start that conversation. So I think it's a benefit that you and I have a 10-year history of knowing each other's heart and knowing the respect that we've got for one another mutually. Don't always agree with each other. That's okay. (laughs) Exactly. I can respectfully agree to disagree. But it doesn't get personal with us because the the only thing that we see is our heart and our souls. We don't see black and white. I never have seen you that way. Yeah. And, and I think that these are the kinds of things that are not intentional. I think it's generational. I think people have just kind of grown up for years um, assuming things that are without any real knowledge of whether they are <laughs> or not. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like lack of communication between different groups. It just creates that that divide. But here we are at a tipping point. And you and I talked a little in the green room before we actually went live and started the conversation, but we talked some about things like Colin Kaepernick and just asking each other for opinions and points of view on things. Now, you and I had a disagreement there, and we should talk about that because my point of view on Kaepernick was more about his doing something that he had personal feelings about, but he was doing it on the company's time. Mm -hmm. And, And, you know, in the franchise world, we know that you can't have a franchisee who decides to add a new flavor, or I'm not going to sell that flavor because I don't like it. When you're doing things that have rules around them, those rules aren't yours. They belong to who you work for or whoever the franchisor is branded by. And I think the same kind of thing with the Kaepernick thing. I think he had every right to have the feelings that he had about what he wanted to do, but I don't know that it was was in his authority to take the steps that became public and became part of the, the game and became part of the league. It seemed to me it'd be an overstep of how he went about doing what he did. Can we find agreement in that or not? No. (laughs) I think coming from a corporate perspective, coming from an NFL perspective, I, from that perspective alone, I 100% agree. From the NFL perspective is you're using our platform to get your message out. And they could have said to the detriment of their platform. So I understand from that perspective. So then we, at least on that, we have agreement. Yeah, from that, yes, from the NFL corporate perspective. But if I were at the helm at the NFL, I would have... I guess, reacted to it differently. Now that's, again, you and I have agreement. So a lack of action, a lack of sensitivity, a lack of awareness, a lack of anything but tone deafness led to the NFL just taking a pass on what should have been deemed or seemed to be more important. Yes. All right. Well, you see, on that. <laughs> well, I think that that's a big agreement, Michael. I think that, yeah. and again, to me, that's what all of this is about. It's, it's about actions and reactions, and it's about no actions and bad reactions. It's about the wrong combination of ingredients, like any recipe that you cook. When you've got the right amount of things going in, it comes out tasting great. <laughs> when one piece of it is off by a little bit, everybody knows <laughs> it. <laughs> so, exactly. I feel like we've got a country that has got a, a history that's been riddled with problems when it comes to white privilege, I think is the proper word. So I have privileges that I take for granted that you can't. Talk about conversations like those that you have to have with your kids about things as they grow up to keep them safe that don't have to happen in my house. Oh, definitely. And um, 
And I think that, you know, I think there's a different conversation going on in different African-American families. So in my family, with my ch- with my children growing up in a suburban atmosphere to where, you know, um, in their classes, they may be one of the four black children, but they have a super diverse friend set. When you look at my, my eldest, my 17 year old, you know, he has just about every race of friends in this friend group. And I tell them that you may not, when your group is doing an activity that is not, you know, the right kind of thing to be doing, skipping school, doing things that are outside, you know, what you should be doing at that age. You have to understand that you have one strike against you already, just with your skin color. So if something were to happen, you guys were to get in trouble, you have to understand you already have a strike against you and you don't have a second chance in many cases. And our situation is much different. We're coming from a suburban atmosphere, but when you look at, you know, different situations, you really don't have a second chance. When you get in trouble, the law is coming at you in full force and you will not in, in many cases, you're not going to make it out of the system that you're put into. So I um, I have to just tell them that, you know, you have to understand you're different. You have to be excellent. In many cases, you have to be better. So, I mean, and I think I, as children, they don't, you know, my, my children don't get it sometimes and experience is the best teacher. So that's where the disconnect is sometimes them not understanding the realities of it. But as things happen, as these things are coming, you know, are happening currently, they're starting to see that, hey, you know, I may need to position myself differently. I may need to need to listen to my father when he's telling me these things. So it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic because there's so many different Black African-American family situations that you have to deal with. Tim Scott is a U.S. Senator of South Carolina. I heard him on one of the Sunday morning talk shows a week or so ago when all this started to bubble up. And he talked about how as a United States Senator. He's the only black senator. Seven times last year, he was pulled over and stopped. And what he termed it as he was stopped for driving while being black because he was driving through a neighborhood that perception of the officer who pulled him over for no reason, no taillight out, just had a look about him that said, what are you doing here? And exactly. mm-hmm. so for me, when I hear people say that they don't agree that there's something called white privilege, that wouldn't have happened to me driving through that neighborhood, but it did happen to him. And he's a United States senator. So that kind of points to your tone deaf statement about the NFL and the commissioner didn't listen or didn't understand or didn't realize that something was rising to a level of his need to address it. I think that many people don't believe that there is such a thing as white privilege should listen to that story and understand that, yeah, there is. It's maybe yeah. not conscious, but it is. And so that is, I think, what we're seeing now with the younger generation. I watch these protests. Mm-hmm. There are as many white people as there are black protesting, and most of them are kids. Exactly. Or, yeah, it is, it is a millennial and Gen X. And we see all this going, Mike, what do you think is happening? And what kind of insight from the perspective of franchise, and you know the franchise world, you've been in it for 10 years, for some part of 10 years with me and the PAFI initiative, you know franchising. What kinds of conversations can we help franchisors begin to have with their own teams internally, as well as with their franchisees to capture this moment positively and influence change? Yeah. All right. That's a big question. I think, I mean, ultimately you, you think about franchising you have businesses in a diverse group of communities. You're serving so many different communities at the same time. And I think what the young people, what these millennials, what these Gen Zs want to hear is that you recognize the situation and you care. And companies that are not, that do not have the ability to show they recognize and care about the situation are not going to be the companies that last through this. I think you have to show that you're empathetic to the situation, you care, and you're taking action towards the change. And I think, to be honest, when you look at companies 
companies like Nike. Nike's done a great job at saying that this is real, we care, and defining what side they're on. And I think as a as a franchisor, you have to um, you know empower your franchisees with that message from above. And hey, our company cares. These are the tools we're giving you to show you know for you to leverage in your communities. It's important. I think. I mean, it's, it's strange, but companies are choosing sides. Whether whether we care, whether we acknowledge and care about the situation, they're going to take steps to change, or whether we're going to just sit this out and hope that it dies back down. I think too that too many people get stuck in the mud on this, focusing only on symptoms but not on cause. You know, it's like having a Definitely. pain. You have a pain and it hurts, and you take an aspirin or you take something stronger, perhaps, but <laughs> you're not addressing the problem, are you? You're addressing the symptom. And I'm one hundred percent, one hundred percent. That's the that's that is the the biggest. Um, I think that is the biggest failure that we're seeing now is that we're on the surface of this thing as, as opposed to digging down deep into it. And those are tough conversations. Those are uncomfortable conversations. And I think uncomfortable for both sides. Would you agree? Definitely. I think, and I, I, to be honest, I think there's not enough platform for this conversation to happen in a way to where um, people feel safe having the discussion. Well, how do you overcome that? I mean, what kind of steps can we take that would help us, in your view, build the platform that's got the ability to hold that kind of weight? Where do you start? How do you have a conversation if you, just like you said moments ago, if you want to get away from dealing with symptoms and dig in and, and start making differences, what's it going to take to get real? Where's a starting point? What kind of a step is a baby step to begin that? That's a big question, Stan. <laughs> That's a huge I'm question. I'm full of big questions, Mark. Huge. I don't know. I think it takes a lot of honesty. It takes a lot of honesty, transparency, and, you know, I think from both sides. And I think it just takes us dealing with the history of a country that had a lot of injustice and systems that have been set up in ways to refortify that injustice. And to be honest, though, it's, it's hard to make adjustments to those systems at times. You have to actually rewrite those systems. And it takes a, a concerted effort to do that. And I, I just, I think it starts, like like we said, with a conversation. And that conversation has to be open and honest. And that mm-hmm. conversation has to come from leadership. And I think if it comes from leadership, everybody understands that this is the direction we're going and it goes down from there. If it comes from our leadership, um, United States leadership, and it goes down to corporations, and people see corporations having being open to the dialogue and pushing the dialogue, I think it has happens naturally but it has to it has to be important enough and i think all this writing and looting and the protest is making it important enough and to be honest the sad thing is i don't think the protesting alone would have made it important enough well that's just another place where you and i can respectfully disagree <laughs> um i don't think that the destruction of property anybody's property a lot of those properties that were hurt and businesses that were hurt were members of the black community and neighborhoods mm-hmm. that their whole lives were rolled up into their businesses and they are supporting those communities with jobs and services. So I agree that there needed to be a wake-up call. I just wonder, and I mean, I listen to Alveda King when she talks about her complete disdain for the violence. She doesn't believe that that's necessary. It might have been what it took, but it shouldn't continue and it's not productive. And yeah, and- and I think, I mean, to be honest, it's strange is that, and it's, it's a strange thing for us to cope with, but sometimes in order to rebuild, you have to destroy. And I don't say that in a light of burning down buildings, but I th- we watched the side of protest by Colin Kaepernick. We watched it. Mm-hmm. We watched the side of protest by NFL players and we watched how it was ignored, put to the side and quieted. 
we watched it. And America had a chance to say, we recognize that Colin Kaepernick is not fighting. He is not raising arms. He is not calling for action. He is silently protesting, representing the flag because the because the actions of America aren't showing that liberty and justice that he thinks that, that America is founded on. So we watched the silent protest. And, and I would agree with you if I didn't watch the silent protest. Right. That was quelled, quieted, and ignored, and told that he was doing the wrong way. So this is one of those places right here that these the kind of conversation that we're having on opposite sides and, and opposite points of view and your perceptions are different than mine because you've got NFL privilege all right yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I don't have that so I don't have that point of view I can never know what it would be like to be t- Senator Tim Scott driving down a street minding my business in a car and getting pulled over because I'm driving while being black I will never understand I couldn't you can tell me about it I can hear it but I'll never live it I'll never understand it from a first person perspective mm-hmm. uh, the, you look at the Kaepernick situation through a different lens than I do as a, as a member of an organization that he and you both belong to that I'll never know what that's like I'll never know what that meant I'll never know what he did and why he did it the way he did it so I definitely yeah we can agree to disagree but I'll tell you what <laughs> I have a, an idea for what a starting point might be I wonder if you would comment on it I think a lot of businesses that find themselves in trouble in for any number of reasons poor management they've got problem leadership they come to a place where they want honest conversation from their employees. And the only way you get that is to make your employee first feel safe. We want to sit in this room, whatever gets said in this room stays in this room. There's no repercussions for what gets said or or how you perceive things. And you sign a declaration to that or something of that sort, or the leadership does that you're not going to be a victim for sharing how to make us better. And I think that's a good place maybe here too, where companies that say that they want to make a difference and need help walking the talk need to make their own people feel safe about sitting down and having a conversation in a room full of people of different races, creeds, and colors and have the beginning of a conversation that says, I'm empowered to respectfully say how I feel about things through my point of view and I want to hear yours. And until I think we put each other in each other's shoes to the extent that we can and try to view things through the point of view of the other person, we're never going to get the conversation going. To me, that seems like a good place to start. What do you think? I think it's a very good place to start. I think safety, knowing that you are free to talk and you're safe is paramount for this discussion to happen. So very true. You know, Stephen Covey in his infinite wisdom in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People wrote that you can't talk your way out of situations that you've behaved your way into. And I think those words come home to roost right here. While you can't talk your way out of this, no matter who you are, you can't get your way out of this until you start a conversation. So talk is not the cure, but it's the beginning of mending fences or level setting. What are your thoughts on that? Very true. I think a lot of talking needs to happen. And from that talking, of course, you know, listening happens and that listening should turn into actionable things. And I think that once you start to see those actionable things start to come out of the ground and that's when you have communities understanding, wow, okay, this is something that, you know, is change is coming. And I think that's vitally important, starting the pendulum with the talking. All right. We're going to take a quick break, Mike. We're going to come back and continue this all important discussion. Franchise Today will be right back, but first, a word from our sponsors. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, 
Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball, but there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot on assessments, based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. And we are back with my good friend, Michael Stone, former NFL player and the man behind the Pro Athlete Franchise Initiative who brought the idea to the IFA. And we sure had fun with that, Mike, and we made a world of difference in the lives of many. And I hope that this interview today and this discussion that we're having can do the same in the same spirit of trying to do well by doing good and helping people get some conversations going. Definitely, definitely. Michael, what are your thoughts? And this is a wild card question, all right? So people get, you said a few minutes ago about people getting their news that some people go to Fox and some go to CNN and expound on what that really means. Yeah, definitely. I think that um, I think that one thing that our country needs is to hear the other side. And I think it's hard to do when your media is kind of siphoned off and you have, you know, one group of faithful um, Fox News watchers and another group faithful CNN watchers and hearing those messages that are you know, give one-sided perspective on the, on what's going on in America on either side. So I think it is is vitally important that we take some time to listen to what the other side is saying. When I say the other side, the other perspective on what America needs to change. So um, I think I think that kind of cross media stream dialogue is important. And, and it's clear that it's not being facilitated now. And it may need to be facilitated by just having discussions with people that you know, that you may have a different perspective with. But it would be really good if it were to happen on a national stage to where you get both perspectives in the same room. Who can you see facilitating that? I mean, the president's approach to this has been more on the quelling the destruction and tamping down the emotion. Where do you see this administration's ability to, at a high level, get a conversation going? Would it be a a Mike Pence? Would it be a Ben Carson? Who would it be? I mean, I, I'm sad to say that I don't know. I'm sad to say that um, that I don't see. I think the approach, and I think we've talked about before, the approach of you know these are our children who are are upset, angry in the streets, looting, rioting. These are our children, and white and black, and and all races. And as opposed to coming down with force on them, you know. Um, I feel like our nation's leadership should be saying, be looking at it, you know, like we talked about, what is the problem? What's the task? What's the task for us to, to address it? How are we going to pull? How do we create a, you know, a national debate around that? A national debate bigger than CNN and, and Fox? How do we, you know, um, our leadership has the ability to, to call a townhouse uh, meeting 
to where you know all part, everybody in America is watching, and we and we have yet to really do that in a way that speaks empathetically to the situation. So I don't know. I don't. I didn't answer your question because I don't know. <laughs> well, but I think that that's a good question to put out there, and it is a question that has to get answered because until you, know, you can't address one side, not both sides of this, you've got to address the side that says we're looking for a way to get things better and get things right, and we. We are a nation that's governed by the rule of law, so lawlessness is not sustainable. It's not a good option. The pressure cooker that started a week ago has seemingly eased, and people are protesting peacefully now, but they're doing it in numbers that speak volumes about uh, making the point that you're trying to make in a way that isn't destructing property, but you can't have millions of people out there and ignore that. So to me, it's kind of like that. The offset, if you will, to violence is the quantity of people expressing how they feel is beyond the ability to ignore. Yeah, and I was I was actually shocked that on a global level, you look at you know Australia, um, you know, in Berlin and Spain and you know all over the world, people are watching, and America has an opportunity to to correct this or to wait for the steam to die down and go back to business as usual. Well, hopefully, so it's, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. I think that we've had a couple of opportunities in our lives since the beginning of this year, 2020. Don't think that anything is going to be quite the way it was before Corona. Um, some of the changes that come out of that are going to be long-term and forever. And I think that what's happening right now is going to lead to some changes in how we see each other and how we respond to each other. And those conversations must now begin. Mike, I can't thank you enough for helping to begin it here. It gave us a great opportunity to reconnect after a little bit of time and sorry that this is why but as <laughs> always as always it's nothing but a pleasure for me to get together with you oh no definitely same here stan i think we have to um we have to get together more often man but i think you know it's a, it's it's an exciting time because there is going to be change on the backside of this sometimes you when you're inside the storm and people are uncomfortable in certain settings but i'm excited about you know the back half the back half of the 2020 story on how we're going to come back in and deal with this and and address the situations and and come out as champions. Well, the franchising world is part and parcel, a big part of our economy, and it's a huge part of our global workforce of diverse communities. So we're better than here to have this conversation as an opener, and I can't thank you enough for coming and sharing with us, Mike. Thanks for having me, Stan, and um, and anytime, anytime, Stan. Look forward to seeing you as soon as we can start doing something other than socially separating sometime soon. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds good, Stan. Well, we've got our work cut out for us, America, but let's turn this corner together and make our country and world a better place for ourselves and our kids. Who better than us to get it done? We are franchising, and everything in our lexicon is driven by interdependence. While Michael and I scratch the surface today, I'll be back next week with a deeper dive into this and more. For now, please stay safe, keep doing the best you can, and I'll see you back here next week for another very special edition of Franchise Today. Until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best of all things franchising, and Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.